The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Frank, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's another edition of the Janky Podcast, as promised uh, yesterday. It seemed like we did this yesterday. We did this yesterday? I think we did. We did it yesterday. All right, we will have Inside the Dome. Dr. Richard Sandro will be joining us. I'll do it again. And pick six. We'll have that. And uh, what else we got? That's it. That's it today. So that'll probably be a long segment. There are it's going to be a long day. It's already a long day. Yeah. There, are, there, are, there are questions uh, Buck Nation wants to know. We will ask the questions. Again, as we always put the caveat, I don't know if you'll like it or don't like it, but at least you got an answer. Mm-hmm. It's better or not, but uh, before we get into all the football talk, there is some football talk. Yes, uh, ETSU women's soccer opened SoCon play against Furman tonight. Uh, the Bucks have never won at Stone Stadium. They are 0-10, and, and they're 2-16 and 16 against the Paladins all time. So this is a this is a big uh, big one. This is the SoCon opener. They are five and four since in, in opener since rejoining the SoCon in 2014. One and two under Jay Yelton and Furman, I believe, has been that team. This is the third time I want to say, and they are zero and two against the Dens in that uh, that particular scenario in which they find themselves tonight. They kick off at seven o'clock, and then at seven thirty in Cincinnati, Ohio. A, a member of ETSU Women's Soccer will be playing in a completely different game. Sino Asane will play in Julie Ertz's final international match. Sino will represent South Africa against the United States Women's National Team tonight at 7.30. And then on uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening at Soldier Field in Chicago in Megan Rapinoe's final international match for the United States. South Africa is the opponent for both. We would expect... Asane to compete in both, and super happy for Sino. She is the seventh uh, senior international uh, to pass through ETSU women's soccer, and she will be the first to suit up against the United States. Pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Uh, the experience for her, you know, you're just having, again, we get to meet some of these athletes and uh, spend time with them and get to know them, and just to think about you know, maybe talk to her after the fact about what it was like, number one, to represent your country, because I always find those interesting, but two, to do it in a country which you're playing. You know, I, I think that's interesting. And also to do it with your twin sister, well, who is also on the team, whose name I can't say because it's uh, Osa, and I can't really do that very well, um, but uh, I, I just call her Knox. Uh, Asane is Sino's twin sister, and... Um, She's an established piece of the national team setup. Like she was at the Women's World Cup and all that. So, uh, but Sino gets to play with her on the international, on the world stage, the biggest stage uh, that that just about any women's soccer player is going to play on. It's not the World Cup, but it is a huge stage in the United States. Big crowd. You're going to get an even bigger crowd on Sunday. Uh, they are expecting very strong turnout for for Rapino's farewell tour uh, in Chicago. So. Uh, this is uh, this is a big moment for her. I spent we talked about it, and I'll let her tell the story later because I want her to tell it in her own words. But how uh, this all came about was kind of funny, and I think really um, is emblematic of Sino's character as just as a person. Um, she's ex- she's humble to a fault, and um, has just tried to not be overwhelmed by all of this because it's not something that she ever took for granted. It's not something that she ever expected to be given. It's not even something that she ever really, you know, totally thought. Like, she thought she could do it, but she never thought that, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it on this timeline. And she didn't have those aggressive goals laid out for herself. And she and I spent probably like 10 minutes just like manifesting a goal for her this weekend before she left. I just, I have no idea if that'll work, but it was worth a shot. So, good luck to Sino tonight. Yeah, you know, I've clearly not been on that type of stage, but just think about something, because we, we've kind of lived the dream, right? And I can remember my first ever Divi- 
Division One exhibition game where I was the, the, the voice. And I remember I had this big lead-up, and I was going to have this big intro, and I did it, and I stumbled, and it wasn't good. And then the second one, I lost my train of thought. Yep. I had to mute myself. And came back. I mean, just, you know, just yep. – and there's nobody looking at me at that. You know what I mean? It just uh, – you know, look back at it now, and I kind of chuckle about because I'd waited my whole life to do that, and it was there, and I thought I was ready, and then bam, and then, you know, and there's been other instances of, um, you know, chances of first-time things I think I would do well. It did well, but, I, you know, it, it is interesting to kind of get, because you can plan on what it's going to be, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to do. Then you get to do it, right? Right. It's always like to, Absolutely. you know, when we get a chance to talk to what, you know, what did you think it was going to be? And, okay, now what was it really like? Because there's just um, – sometimes it is exactly, but a lot of times it's not. And it's not because of the reasons that you're you're probably thinking of, right? Or, or she's thinking of, or whoever she, you're yeah. talking about at that point. But right. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really exciting. I think ETSU has a shot to beat Furman tonight, though. Um, just the, the youth that they have brought to the front line has been so valuable. Reagan Fitzgerald now has three goals. Um, Ella Parker's on the score sheet. Molly Kaysen got on the board early in the season. Uh, really the only one, I think, that, that's played a lot that hasn't found the back of the net is Ava Matern. She created an own goal at Gardner-Webb. So this, it's, been a, um, it's been a very fruitful freshman class early on, very productive freshman class early on for Jay Yelton and company. And I, I think they have a decent shot to go on the road and win tonight. And really, if you can do that, then you feel pretty good about Sunday against VMI, which we will have on ESPN Plus, and you can at that point say, "Hey, we, we got something going here." You win those first two, and you only play what nine? So you win the first two, and you've won quite a bit. Of, you've won like twenty-two percent of your games already. So that would be a huge weekend. Could be a huge weekend for ETSU if they get it going tonight. Yeah, I think they played a couple of. Well, three common opponents. No, two. Yeah, three common opponents. And one was exhibition for ETSU in UNCA. Furman played UNCA and lost to them two to one. And then uh, they prefer to be called Asheville or UNC Asheville or AVL, as I learned. They don't like being called UNCA. Okay. I know. I know. As a guy that grew up next to it for a long time, that's going to be tough. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be a – Well, there's UNCG and there's UNCW, but I think they're trying to transition to be more like uh, Charlotte. They want to be more like Chattanooga, where they're not University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, not UTC. They are Chattanooga. I think the inspiration was Charlotte. But, yeah, yeah you can. You can say that, too. All right. That being said, uh, ETSU also played Upstate and uh, USC Upstate and then South Carolina State. Uh, I believe didn't ETSU tie USC Upstate and beat South Carolina State, which is the same results that. Uh, yes, uh, ETSU played uh, USC Upstate to a goal of straw and beat South Carolina State six nil. Uh, Furman beat SCSU two nil. I and, 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 a and chance a one, to yeah, and a one one tie South Carolina Upstate, and again, not quite fair for Asheville uh, to be compared since that was an exhibition, and sometimes things are done a little differently than a regulation sure. game. So. But still, they play some common opponents. So if nothing else, they've got something to draw from. Not so much the, you know, transit property of scores between them, but just certainly just to watch how they played against those teams. And the same token, Furman has an opportunity to kind of scout and see how uh, ETSU did some things against uh, common opponents. And they're elite teams, so it's not like they don't know each other uh, one way or another. But uh, in judging by some scores, I'm guessing a fairly entertaining game for Greenwood South Carolina. I would guess so as well. I think this is going to be a good one. And the, the quality of soccer, men's and women's in the SOCON, has really impressed me. It's been, I think it's been very, very high level. And I, I've enjoyed being back in it. It's certainly different from what I was used to seeing in Fargo, where it was just one. I mean, really, the fact that there are two teams at ETSU, men's and women's, really gives you a chance to get into a rhythm with the sport. Um, having just a women's soccer team like we did at North Dakota State, kind of, kind of was a little herky jerky. Like, and, and their facility also they had a partially condemned press box, so couldn't because of asbestos, so you couldn't go in it. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, I just never really felt like I was in a rhythm with with that team and watching that team. This feels much more in a rhythm, much more in tune with the level of play here in this conference and the level of play I think is 
men's and women's, and it's it's really fun to watch. So it's a big soccer weekend. Uh, it is for the Sanders family, too, because the one weekend I have off, right, my wife has booked uh, us to be at a tournament for J.C. and Rhett to play a soccer tournament in Oak Ridge. So not only my weekend off to have to go travel and stay in a hotel, but now I've got to pay for the hotel myself and watch soccer. I'm only a week and a half off. I mean, I love family. It's one week and a half off. Can I do anything else family You have the weekend off. I do not have I mean, do but don't. Well, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be covering ETSU volleyball and ETSU women's soccer on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. and if So you have the weekend off. I mean, in theory, am I here? Yes, but is it the one weekend where I could go be a fan of something or go do something else? Uh, and I got to stay on the road. Like, can we not find something in town to do for a couple of days so that I can sleep in my own bed on the only quote-unquote weekend that I don't have? You got, yeah, you guys need to you need to get a lake place. Go to a, go to a, go to a lake cabin or something. That's what they do. That's what they do in the Midwest. Is, is like, oh yeah, we're going to the lake this weekend. That's what you got to do. Just tell people you're going you're going to the lake. Even if you're not, even if it's just like a camper trailer, go to the lake, unwind near the water. Maybe don't go in. Maybe don't submerge your head in the water. But mm. go to the water. That does seem kind of weird. Well, also, like you never know what sort of like parasites are in there, and I'm always terrified of like the the brain eating amoeba thing kills like four people a year. I said, just don't, just don't. How about that? But we just don't. So, uh, yeah, but go to the lake and relax. Have some have some fun near the water. I got a little family time, and then uh, I'm probably watching a lot of games on uh, ESPN Plus on my phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, volleyball yeah. will be uh, one. Women's soccer will be one as well on Sunday. All right. I think this is petered out. You want to you go get let's, – let's get to the, the meat and potatoes. Inside the Dome – Dr. Richard Sander. The man in charge. Doc. Doc. I shouldn't have to remind you, I'm a doctor. Goes in the hot seat. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I want them answered immediately. I'm your huckleberry. It's inside the dome. Did he just call it a dome? Dome, 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 bro. Dome, 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 dome. Well, as promised, people ask, and normally people ask, and I get a hold of Dr. Sander and say, hey, people are doing it inside the dome. This time, Dr. Sander looked at me and said, hey, people are inside the dome. Can you uh, set that up? And I said, sure, we'll put it out there to the masses and want to get the questions. And Dr. Sander said, I'll be glad to talk about it. So we gave people a couple of days to send questions in. And uh, as promised, Dr. Sander, thanks for joining us. Oh, glad to be here, Jay. You know, I think uh, I feel really good that, you know, our people are interested. They're concerned and want to uh, – you know, want to get the the real information. You know, sometimes on social media, there's a lot of bad information that's put out there. So I think, you know, I just want to be able to correct that, so there's no, um, you know, there's no no uh, confusion as to some of the things that have been done and why we do the things that we do. And I appreciate the people uh, giving, you know, us the opportunity to share some of the, you know, some of the logic behind what we do. So and and. Just transparency, I'm going to ask these questions um, in kind of the order they came in. Sure. There is one set of questions that kind of uh, two different people, a little bit different topic in NIL, but they're both kind of relative, so I may kind of uh, combo those a little bit just as a here's part one, here's part two. Um, other than that, as, as they came in, I'm, uh, you know, as we always do, uh, we're going to ask. So the first one is Rocky Top Bucks. He used the hashtag inside the dome. Uh, and he starts with another thing, and I don't know where the first part was, but this is all I got. Another thing, back a couple months ago, it was mentioned that ETSU has adapted the policy that if a student athlete enters the portal, they can't come back. And his question is, how is this beneficial to the student athlete experience and our pure programs using this against ETSU? Uh, well, let me just say that, you know, we, we have to do what's good for – you know, let's just take football. We have 100 student-athletes on the football team, okay? So we have to care about the majority of those kids. So if one kid goes in the portal, that basically hurts the other 99, 
you know. So the student-athlete experience that I'm concerned with are those 99 because when a kid goes in the portal, it negatively in, impacts those other 99. So if we let that kid come back, first of all, what are those other kids saying? He doesn't want to be here, but, you know, we're going to take him back. I want to be here, and, you know, but, you know, this other kid who doesn't want to be here, you took him back. So I think from a student-athlete experience, we're more, I'm more interested in those 99 that have committed to be here and want to be here. So the one that doesn't want to be here, yeah, maybe it's not in, in that individual's best interest, but the other 99, I think it is in their best interest. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we have to be concerned about those young men and women that want to be here. So I think by saying, you know, you're all in, you've committed to be here, we want them to have a great experience. For that individual that wants to go out and shop and do whatever they do to enter the portal, then, you know, right. It's, it's probably not going to be a great student-athlete experience for them, but they're the ones that initiated that. Uh, next question comes from Thomas, uh, and I think he kind of sub-tweeted, if I'm using it, or sub-exed, I don't know what it's called anymore. Quote, quote, X. Sub-posted. Sub-posted. It's just posting uh, now. Yeah, whatever. Uh, from Rocky Top, uh, and basically said, I want to expand on this. If it's a loyalty issue, will you inform coaches not to pull scholarships for students who come here on scholarship because loyalty should be both ways. Yeah, well, there's no question. I mean, I think it's all about building relationship. I think the successful coaches build relationship with the student-athletes, you know. When the student-athlete comes, you know, they also have some – there's some accountability there for what they do, you know. We expect student-athletes, I think it's kind of, you know, to come in here and and be a good teammate to be the best that they can be. Um, Since I've been here – I don't. I can't remember too many student athletes who have had their scholarships pulled, and the ones that have had them pulled, there's usually a pretty significant reason. We don't just let student, you know, let coaches arbitrarily pull scholarships. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, loyalty does go both ways. But like I say, part of this is, um, you know, the student comes in has has some responsibility and accountability to be a good team member, to be the best that they can can be, and. Um, you know, uh, and, and you know, I think the successful coaches build build that trust relationship. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I think it should should go both ways. I, uh, I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be defensive, but I'm just trying to think of, you know, what student athletes have we had um, pulled their scholarships. A lot of times, you know, these conversations go with coaches and athletes. You know, here's your situation. You know you're probably not going to get to play, you know, you're the, you know, we have, pick a sport, let's say basketball, you know, you're number 13 on, you know, on a, on a team of 13. If you want to play, you know, it's probably not going to be here. You can stay, you can work hard, but, you know, here, here's reality. So I think sometimes, you know, you have to be really honest with this student athlete and say, uh, here's here's where you fit into the program. Let me ask you this, just as a follow-up, because I feel like sometimes we get, and, you know, you're you're more than willing, I think, than more, I don't know if any other D comes and just basically blatantly answers any questions that's sent to them. Sometimes, though, there are very specific-type questions where you're more worried, as you said on the first one, about everything else. And, yes, there's probably one-offs everywhere. Right. But overarching, right, you're – yeah, you're talking to coaches about like, hey, all right, if you're committing this kid, we're going to commit to the kid. If they're not doing what's right or not, play, that, that's a separate issue, right? Because I think again, it seems like uh, just guessing. Because I'm going to read another question from Thomas next, and he's, he's a little bit drilling down on a specific type. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think that's right, and I, I think as we evaluate coaches, you know, coaches, so many things go into coaching, you know, and so. Um, the ultimate, you know, the the ultimate um, criteria to judge them is basically: Are we winning contests and are we graduating student athletes and are they having a good experience? So, you know, all those things play into that. You know, so you, it's pretty hard. You can pick little things out of everything. Why doesn't he play? Why does, you know, coaches want to win games? You know what I mean? And I think that's that's kind of what they do. We also, I mean. 
if we had a mass exodus, you know, and when, I mean, we, we did. I mean, you know, we dealt with softball. That was a mess, you know what I mean? And we didn't like the way softball was being um, operated. So we made a change, you know. So that's an example, I think, of how we, we look at things. Like you said, Jay, you'll have a one-off, you know, every once in a while. But, you know, it you look for tendencies, trends. Is this the way things are going, you know? You may have, um, you know, you may have 98% of the team may be happy. You, you may find, you know, one or two individuals who aren't happy, you know what I mean? But, you know, we, we have how many student-athletes, 430, 400, whatever it is. You know, I think the reality of it is every one of them is not going to be happy. If you can find, you know, any 400 people anywhere in the world that are all happy, you know, you've, you've done something special. So, I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, where we are with this. I, I, we're looking for, you know, things that, you know, are the, you know, very, like, characteristic of a program. And if we see things that are trends, okay, we're, you know, we're getting rid of players. We're, we're doing this. And then, you know, we're going to make, we're going to make a, uh, you know, a decision and get that straight. And I think, you know, softball is a good example of that. Right, so to follow up, so, and as I said about Thomas, because Thomas' very next question is, and this seems very specific, parents are concerned with kids being retaliated against for publicly speaking out in a certain sport. I know some have emailed you about this concern. Obviously, he's talking about you, Dr. Santa. Are you willing to protect the kids that the parents speak out that they are uh, report or not retaliated against? Uh, or can report retaliation, I'm sorry. Well, first of all, if somebody's emailed me, and I don't think they have, somebody sent me a written letter that was signed anonymously, so I don't even know who it is. You know what I mean? So it's pretty hard to retaliate against somebody you don't even know who they are. We don't go to the coach and say, so-and-so, you know, complained about you. If somebody, you know, if somebody got on social media and they complained, you know, about the coach, you know, that's that's not me telling them. You know, that's them going out there in public and doing it. I don't think the coaches retaliate. You know, my experience, and I've been around for a while, uh, I think coaches pretty much try to win, and they're going to play the best players they think can win. So I don't know, is retaliation about not playing? Is it about, you know, running? Is uh, You know, I, I don't know what that retaliation is. And like I said, Unless I missed it, I don't think anybody, I mean, we've had some people call and complain because some parents call and complain because there weren't, or email me a complaint about, you know, not all the women's soccer games on ESPN+. Plus. We've had volleyball, uh, we, well, I'm not even sure it was a parent, but we had a, somebody in volleyball call and, or email me and complain because there weren't enough pictures taken for the volleyball team. So, you know, those are the kind of things, but I don't, I mean, I haven't talked to the coach about that. I, they clearly had retaliated. So those are the kind of emails that I've gotten, you know. And just recently, we've got one from another sport. But like I said, you know, that was a that was a written letter, and it was anonymous. So I don't know who it was. So I don't. I, I, I'm not sure um, who would retaliate because I'm not sure any coaches. First of all, I'm not sure any parent has. Um, email mixed up about the things I mentioned about ESPN Plus and, you know, pictures. Um, and then this last letter was a complaint about the coach. Yep. But like I said, that was anonymous. And well, it's it, pretty hard to respond to anonymous um, communication. Right. I think, I, you know, one of that was, you know, as far as protecting the kids against retaliation of, of a coach, if, if you've heard of a coach yeah, I mean, retaliating I, against a kid, what, what, I guess I, yeah. ultimately I think that's the second part of this question is, you know, how would how would you protect the kid if you found out there was retaliation? Yeah, I mean, we clearly make sure that didn't happen if, if we saw it, if we knew about it, you know, I, I, this is an interesting time, you know what I mean? When I was an AD at VCU in 20 years, you know, I was there 20 years, and in 20 years, 
I had one complaint from a parent. You know what I mean? It was a women's soccer player. Denise Shorty Brown was our women's coach. She's now the coach at South Florida. Actually, Adam Sayers worked for her as an assistant. But those parents came in, you know, brought Coach, you know, Coach Shorty Brown in, and we sat down there and talked. They voiced their complaints about the coach. The coach shared what she thought about it, and, you know, that was it. Today, you know, I think we have a lot of parents. We don't have a lot, but we have some. But I think part of that is – um, the reality of the way the youth sports model has kind of um, evolved over the years. I think parents may be more involved now. And, um, you know, and then, and of course, there's social media. But, yeah, I, I mean, clearly we do everything to protect, you know, our student-athletes. And I think the one, uh, you know, the one thing that gives me some comfort is, you know, we have athletic trainers at the practices. And I think um, – if we see anything that is abusive, I mean, they are instructed to let Brett know, and, and uh, you know, we haven't seen any of that or heard any of that, you know. So I, I, I don't know what the retaliation is. Is it physical retaliation? Is it they don't get to play? I, 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 I don't know. I, I mean, so if somebody knows or if they know specific things and want to tell me, then, you know, we'll deal with it. Yeah, that's what I said. I think he's somehow gotten in a little bit of specifics, and you know, it's hard to get in that for a lot of reasons. Correct. Um, one, you can't really speak on a situation broadly about it, what you know, and then two, depending on how the situation is, you couldn't speak about it anyway. It's because of legal action. And right, and I, I mean, like I say, we're not. If, if people complain about coaches, and you know, they do, uh, but I don't. Like I said, the only thing I remember, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm getting anything like I said we got the one I got the one letter I think yesterday or the day before and I don't think I've gotten any emails about that so um, and I, I don't know who it was so okay. I, I I don't know how the coach would retaliate you know maybe maybe the, the parent complained to the coach but I wouldn't know about that so all right well, let's talk Thomas has another good one here him and Joshua Cox kind of in the same lines um some coaches, uh, as Thomas first, and I'll uh, get to Joshua, kind of an A and B here. Uh, some coaches complain about going to the portal, unable to get, unable to get the talent. Some blame it on NIL, but Sanford, Western Carolina, now Furman can dip in the portal and do fine. So, as an AD, what do you think makes those three different? And before you answer that, and the second part of that from Joshua uh, was, where are things as far as the NLI collective for ETSU? But there, it seems like they're behind the eight ball on this. So, so. Kind of similar type questions. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think it all comes down to recruiting. I mean, um, you know, uh, in regard to the portal, I mean, I think we've done pretty well in the portal in some sports, you know what I mean? Men's basketball, you know, I know, you know, they've got a kid, a uh, portal kid from Delaware. They got one from Butler. Uh, they got one from William & Mary. Uh, got one from North Florida. All are good players. We got one from USC Aiken. You know, so we've gotten some good players out of the portal. Women's basketball. You know, she got one from Temple. Got a couple from Oakland. Um, you know, and that's just off the top of my head. I, I can't remember where else. Uh, we got one from Pepperdine. Um, so you know, in some of the sports, we've been able to, you know, use the portal very effectively. So I assume the question is about football. Um, because um, it just sounds like it's about football. Um, and, and I think uh, a lot of, and I don't know this, but, you know, my assumption is that there are some coaches who can recruit the portal very well because they have a lot of connections in Division One. So I think if you, and, and I'm just talking out loud, I don't have a, better idea than anybody else, but I would think that if you had, you know, good connections at those universities or somewhat around here in Virginia, at Virginia Tech, at Tennessee, at Middle Tennessee, at Memphis, uh, you know, places like that, Kentucky, where it would make sense if a kid didn't make it would be, you know, um, a good, um, you know, a good player at our level. Um, so I think a big part of that is the recruiting process and your ability to do that. I mean, we recruited some kids out of the portal. Um, I don't follow it that closely. 
obviously it, those are the ones that are uh, playing well, not playing well. I know, I guess, uh, Baron May, the kid that's been playing quarterback, he's out of the portal, I think. Um, I guess, uh, Well, know. they have starters. I mean, in fairness, yeah. there are starters that are starting that came out of the portal. Luke Smith's the center, Zach Teeter's. Luke Smith was from App State. Zach Teeter's from Virginia. Jordan Hoskins, Missouri State. Um, Teddy, had, Wilson Teddy Wilson is a junior college player. Uh, they've had, I mean, Anash Carter came from Savannah State, where he was a slot back and now is a wide receiver and is going to, hopefully, if he's healthy, he's going to play quite a bit for the rest of the year. But a lot of transfers have come in and, and yeah. started for football. Yeah, and I mean, Dorsey's an example. I mean, yep. he started Eastern Illinois, you know. So we are getting some kids out of the portal. It's not like we are, maybe, you know, and some of those guys are guys are contributors doing some things, you know. So, um, uh, it, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I guess the question is, did we get enough? Did we not get enough? You know what I mean? And I mean, we, but let's also realize that there are some. Uh, whenever you take a kid that's transferred somewhere, there's a reason they transferred. You know what I mean? Is it because they're not playing? Is it because they have an issue with the coach? I mean, there's a reason. You know what I mean? They're looking for a better alternative. So. You know, it's a little bit tricky. It's just not taking kids out of the portal. You got to do research. You got to do background work to find out. I mean, to be honest, we had a kid out of the portal that came and was going to be a good player, and then decided to quit the first day of school. And um, the NCAA now has a regulation that if you take a transfer, you basically have to pay for their, you know, their scholarship through the time that they graduate. So this kid basically came. Um, was, was like I hear one day he's in New York he goes home to New York we're paying for his online classes in his room and board so how much sense does that make so I mean the portal is a double edged sword yeah you can get some good things you know and hopefully the kids you get are good and you don't have those kind of issues but we you know there's going to be some issues with the portal kids too don't think that's just uh, you know every one of them you know, uh, you know a savior before we dive into NIL and collectives and things, uh, I did want to ask, because this has now become something of a story, is that um, waivers for players that are transferring are getting harder to get. Now that the one-time exception has been in place, the NCAA has kind of made it clear to member schools, people that try to transfer to a second D1 school as an undergrad are not going to ha- – it's going to be a very, very strict criteria under which they could be granted a waiver – how much had you heard about that, or when did you first start to hear that that might be coming down the pipe? And how do coaches and administrators feel about a, a much tighter waiver process overall? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, I think coaches and administrators. I know administrators feel that they had to really stop the two-time transfer rule, or you were just, yeah, I mean, it was just going to be basically open market, just go somewhere, and then it just got into who could pay you the most, and every season was just going to be, you know, a, a complete new team because somebody comes in and one-time transfer, plays pretty good. Now, you know, they transfer again because they had a good year. You gave them an opportunity for a year, and now they're, they're leaving. So I think every administrator coach um, just basically felt the NCAA has to stand up to this. Now, you know, the question is going to be, will the courts stand up to it? You know, because I see there are court cases out there. and you got all the talking heads out there who are experts saying, oh, well, these kids need to be able to transfer. You know, it's their right. Yeah, it's their right, you know. But, um, you know, we've gone so far in that direction that it's, it's uh, you know, sooner or later you just got to have some controls on something or we're just going to have, you know, every year just have a whole new team. I just want to follow up on that because I think there's the misconception. Well, yes, they have the right to transfer. They were allowed to go to a different school and continue education. That doesn't give you the right to do extracurricular things, right? right? That's right. kind of the argument. So. Right, and I, I mean, you know, it, it's easy. You know, when you recruit a kid, you invest a fair amount of money in him, you know, and, and I, I get it, the idea that, you know, uh, we, we, <laughs> we kind of get um, – we all get lumped together, you know, in Division One athletics. But I can tell you, Texas program is a whole lot different than ETSU's, you know what I mean? And so, 
you know, we're investing in these kids. You know, Texas got a bunch of money, and so, you know, that's good. But we're, you know, I, I've seen some numbers every year what we spend on each kid, you know, when you figure tuition fees, room and board, but also the strength and strength and conditioning that we invest in them, you know, all the travel that we do, you know, all the things that they do, the food, everything, you know, it gets to be considerable. So you do that for a year, and you, then they leave. You basically, you know, just, you know, wasted that money, you know. So um, I get it from the standpoint of, you know, programs that are making, you know, $100 million on ticket sales for the football game, then, yeah, they, they've got a lot of money. You know, the ETSUs of the world aren't doing that. So moving forward to the NLI, and, and basically um, Thomas says, you know, we blame it on NLI for Sanford Western and Furman. For two of those schools, Sanford Furman, I know Chattanooga, they do have collectives up in one. They are given a little bit of money here and there. You can easily Google it yourself if you don't believe me. And then for Josh's question, which I think falls right back up to that, what is ETSU doing on the collective? Because it seems like they're behind the eight ball. And for what I just said, Yes, there are schools in the Southern Conference. Or, now, they're not giving $400,000 to people, but if they give 2500 or $5,000 or whatever, $1,000, it's still more. And sometimes, let's face it, kids are looking for quick money. Hey, I can get 5000 here. You're giving me nothing. I mean, ETSU lost a, a quarterback to Kent State that's actually third string and not playing because he chose $10,000 over a possibility of starting a role, and that does exist in today's world. But for the Southern Conference, I know Sanford and Mercer were very contentious, um, let's just say, at the Southern Conference Tournament because one of the schools had made a comment about the other one having a collective and paying for the players, and that's why they were good. And let's just say there was there was some words exchanged where people had to come in and separate them. So it's already contentious around the Southern Conference on who's doing what. That being said, there are schools that don't have collectives that are getting uh, players and competing. But to get to Josh's question, it seems like we're behind the eight ball now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, we've been trying to move this forward. The reality of it is we, ETSU, can only do so much. And uh, we've had a lot of conversation. We've had a lot of um, effort. Um, I think uh, it's probably not as easy as it sounds like to create these collectives. I think we're really, really close to having that in place. We've done some other things. But I think you also have to re realize there's a finite amount of money out there. So how are you going to fund that collective, and how does that diminish the resources that the university has? Because we have to kind of try to balance that out. So if somebody wants to give us $20,000, is it more valuable to us to get $20,000 as an athletic department and say, you know, this gets a little technical, and give four players Alston Award money, okay? Or is it more beneficial for the collective to have $20,000 and give four players $5,000 as part of an NIL deal? So, I mean, those are kind of the things that you kind of have to weigh. Um, but, you know, right now we're pretty close. One of the things that is a little bit of an issue that we've struggled with is we wanted to create uh, 501c3, which would be uh, allow people to make a – if they gave money to the collective, it would be a charitable gift. So we're working through that, that process, and um, that has probably taken a little more time. But I think uh, in the long run, this will be the best way to operate the collective through a 501c3. Um, we're dealing now with a group called Charitable Gifts of America that will allow us to do that. And actually, we'll probably save four or five months of trying to get the IRS to certify that we are a 501c3. It gets fairly technical, um, but I think that's probably why we're a little bit behind. Um, some people have done put in a lot of work, a lot of time to try to get that done. So, um, yeah, um, we're probably a little bit behind, but I think in the long run, the way we're approaching this, because some of the ones you talk about, I think Chattanooga may have three or four collectives. Yeah, Ch Chattanooga actually has three if you look it up. Yes. Yeah, and if you go in there, those people are trying to make money out of that collective. Some of those people aren't doing that out of the goodness of their heart and their care for good old uh, UTC, but, you know, they're, they're taking – you know, a piece of the pie as a uh,
compensation for setting that collective up. So that's not all that altruistic in some cases. And somebody may have a collective and it may have $50 in it. You know what I mean? We, you can have a collective. Anybody listening can start their own collective. But, you know, um, it, it's, it's, uh, not, it, it, what, so just having one probably isn't the greatest thing in the world. Uh, having one that is efficient is what you want. All right, let's get to Luke's uh, question. Given how much football program has fallen since the run of the FCS quarterfinals in 2021 and the clear lack of talent we have now compared to FCS foes, it seems like our coach should be more focused on fixing the team instead of playing golf at Blackthorn. How long before a change is deemed necessary? <laughs> yeah. Um, he came at you with that one. Yeah, you? boy, that, that one, just, that's kind of one of those John Schmoltz 92-mile-an-hour sliders. Um, that... Uh, that's a question. You know, we hire coaches, and, you know, clearly, like I mentioned before, you know, we hire them. We hire them to run their program. So they basically make decisions on what they do. Um, the ultimate, you know, the ultimate um, decision with any sport is going to be how much they win and whether their players graduate. And we all know, let's not kid anybody, that winning in particularly, you know, our flagship sports, football and basketball, is important here. You know what I mean? It is important. So those decisions that coaches make about the time that they invest in the program is their decisions, and they're going to be held accountable for that decision. But that will all come back into, you know, wins and losses, to be honest, and the way their players, um, you know, the way their student-athletes um, become part of, of ETSU and, you know, the community. But – Every coach has, you know, the right. It's just like any business, you know. If you're a salesman and you want to play golf four or five times a week, you know, you can do it. But your bottom line and your sales and your commissions are going to reflect that. It's kind of the same deal. You, whatever time you invest, you feel good about. But that's going to ultimately um, affect, you know, the bottom line result. And then we'll make that decision based upon the bottom line result. All right, Savage ETSU Bucks, Buckeye, I should say, sorry, Savage ETSU Buckeye. Recently noticed LSU had links to all their contracts, financial reports on the athletic website. Would you ever consider doing this so that we, I assume the fans, can easily see contracts, et cetera? And he also did include the link, which I did. I looked at third-party marketing. They have every employee contract, every coach's contract, game contracts. Now, Tennessee does game contracts, so I guess it's a, more of a nuanced thing happening now contracts being online and that can be fully announced yeah i mean <laughs> uh i mean we're not hiding anything anybody can foil you anything they want to like uh, i'm sure at lsu they've had so many issues down there you got you, you got will wade you got uh les miles you got uh whomever else they've had they've had so many issues down there with that i'm sure that is uh you know, that is a public relations move to try to be very transparent and let people see everything that's going on. Um, I am just don't know what – I mean, if somebody wants to see it, whatever they want to see, but I think it's pretty cumbersome to do that. Right, so I, I can just – for the Tennessee one, because Reed Sigmund, who's the CFO of Tennessee now, Oklahoma State, uh, high school teammate of mine, actually. And so I had asked him about that when I saw that. And he said basically at Tennessee, when you're – that big of a state school, you're getting so many FOIA requests that it just was like, all right, we get a signed contract, everyone's going to FOIA all of our contracts, so game contracts at least, that seemed to be a popular one there, that they just went ahead and said, made a decision, they were just going to put all game contracts on, so it just saved them the time and effort for that. Now, they're not doing coaches and all these other contracts, but he specifically spoke to that, and I imagine LSU, besides all the issues they've had, again, when you're the main, I think, state school, every newspaper, every whatever just inundate you with requests as opposed to just, again, where we are in the world, ETSU, they're, you know, people from Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee is not really employing what our game contracts are. So I think it's just, again, that's a little apple to oranges situation with it. Well, and I mean, you know, and, and you know, when, when we had the cheerleader uprising, um, we had a FOIA request for all the purchase orders since 19, or since 2019, um, I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of those things, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, who's going to choose what to put up there? I mean, we have 
I can't. I don't know how many contracts we have. I don't know how many, you know, different um, documents that we have that are foyable. So we, I mean, where do you stop that? Where do you start it? You know. So I think probably the ability for if anybody wants to know something, they clearly can FOIA. If they're, I think you got to be a resident of the state of Tennessee. State resident, yeah. but. Surely, to Guinness, if you're a Buck fan and you don't live here, you know somebody lives in the state, they can fool you that for you. Yeah. I would assume. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think LSU's probably doing it just as a PR deal. They've had so many issues down there. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the whole state government in Louisiana is very corrupt. So, you know, I'm sure that's why that's out there. Uh, Doc, I did want to ask you about uh, adding a new sport. Acrobatics and tumbling uh, is uh, on track to be part of the ETSU athletic department uh, in the near future. Uh, I think people are curious why this emerging sport made sense for ETSU to try to add uh, and what the timeline looks like for hiring a coach and competing. Yeah, good question. Um, We... We clearly felt that we needed to add a women's sport, you know, to provide more opportunities for women. So we um, constructed a rubric, and we looked at I don't know how many different sports, 13, 14 different sports, everything from women's lacrosse to women's wrestling to swimming to gymnastics to field hockey to skiing to just every bowling all those different things. And we did a rubric, and we had like 10 different criteria that we were using to evaluate based upon, you know, our situation here. And so as we went through all those, it became um, pretty clear to me, not not clear, but, I mean, we scored it. It wasn't me, and so, we, you know, we gave values to each of these different things. And as we scored these sports, um, you know, acrobatics and tumbling won, you know, and there were a lot of reasons. There's a lot of – it's – relatively going to be easy for us to compete locally. There's 19 schools in Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, and West Virginia that, that sponsor the sport. Facility-wise, if we, a lot of the sports we were going to have to build elaborate facilities to have them. You know, what is the pool of talent? You know, clearly there is a huge pool of talent for acrobatics and tumbling. High school cheerleaders who compete in all these high school cheering things. High school gymnasts who have gone through um, you know, gymnastics training, even some sports like divers, you know, they are uh, they are kids who can compete in this sport. Some track athletes, some strength athletes, you know, they can compete in the sport. So the pool of talent was very wide where, you know, when you get into some of these sports, lacrosse, field hockey, some of those, I mean, those are very geographically um, centered where the talent pool is. So for us, it and, and if somebody wants to see it, I'll send you the – <laughs> I'll send you the rubric. I, I got it somewhere. So, but it wasn't anything. And, and you know, we think it's an, a good sport. And one of the things I said is we're going to give a lot of young women an opportunity to compete. That there's not a ton of these out there, you know. And so we feel we can compete, be competitive. We feel that we're going to give, you know, a lot of young women an opportunity to compete. Who there's nowhere else for them to go. So. Coach. Uh, when, when does that search begin? When do you yeah, have it on the competitive season in acro and tumbling is in the spring. So once that spring season is over, we'll move forward, hire a coach, and she will or he will um, recruit over the next uh, year and bring kids in. We could bring in some kids even next year who want to commit and come here. And we won't have a team, but they can come here and kind of, you know, do um, – you know, strength and conditioning, whatever. So, yeah, we'll kind of do that. Hopefully we'll have a team. I get the years. So next year would be 24 through 25. I think we'll probably have a competitive team. So not too different from the way we start football. Right. All right. You want uh, – that's all the questions we got. Uh, if you want anything else off your chest, you got a chance. If not, uh, we'll wrap up well, inside the dome. No, I'm, I'm excited about basketball. You know, I, I just also want to say yeah, I know some people have been concerned about – us not releasing the men's schedule, and I get it. You know, I, I guess I was on Brooks, uh, you know, about every day about that. But uh, the the problem was we thought we had the schedule done, and then Delaware backed out on us. Right. So, you know, maybe three or four weeks ago when we were about ready to go with it, and then Delaware backed out. And then that late in the year, it's almost impossible to get a replacement game, particularly because you've got 
whatever, 29 other games scheduled, finding a date and a time that matches somebody else. And there's not, you know, at that time, there weren't very many people out there that needed a game. So we kind of got stuck with that. And so um, we've, we've basically had to fill that spot with, you know, I think we filled it with Tusculum. And nobody, uh, I mean, Tuscan's great. I love them. They're terrific people. But, I mean, we really, Brooks didn't want to play a Division II school. He wanted to play, you know, a competitive D1 game. But the, the Delaware thing really kind of um, threw, a, threw a major uh, curveball at us. Well, Doc, we appreciate the time. Informative as always. Uh, thanks for answering our questions. Good, Jay. Appreciate you and Keith. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. No! It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself. First of all, first of all, I just want to. N-I-L. What? Is name, image, and likeness. What is? Say it again. N-I-L. N-I. Is that a capital L? Capital L. Okay. Not nil. Although, although for me, it my N-I-L would probably be worth nil. N-I-L is name, image, and likeness. NLI is National Letter of Intent. Okay. They are different things. That does not sound good. You said NLI like seven times. I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to hammer you in front of the AD. You said NIL, NLI like seven times when you meant NIL. Yeah. And, and, uh, now, part of that is probably just that you've been talking about one for the last, what, 20, 20 25 th- years? 23 years. 23 years? More than that if you include if I'm a student when I was working with the network. But as a full-time person in the office, 23 years. Yeah. Uh, so you've been so referring to one, so it's you, you have who, to who uncondition yourself. Like, like who said? And I get why. I mean, it is the name, the image, and the likeness. But who thought? Let's just mess with people's heads and have a three-letter this and a three-letter that. That's just flipped. I mean, they I guess you, they you could go. Have they you could go LOI for letter of intent. Some people do, I think, do that. But um, I, I would go NLI is yeah. national letter. Assuming people knew if I missed No, I think contextually they would know, but I just we we should know because it's it's just it's different. It's different things. It means different things. Your NIL is worth nil, but your NLI is worth something. I don't know what that's worth either. Your letter of intent. What what is your intent? Your intent is to pick some football games. I think. Yeah. Let's do the pick six. All right, 50-yard line, uh, only unranked team on the entire pick six this week is Chattanooga, and they are on the road at Sanford. Oof. So. Number 20, Sanford. Three. I think there's three conference games this week. That's one of them. Yes. Uh, another one is coming up in just a moment. Okay. And then the um, the next one is also VMI Wofford. The Sickos game. The Sickos game of the week, yeah. yeah. That, that is a that is a that is a Sickos watch to say the least. Yeah, and, and honestly, there's a lot going on in that because you know how many chances do a few teams have to win games, right? And so mm-hmm. you got Wofford who went with their quarterback, trying to do whatever, figured out. Uh, not sure Ironside didn't play for VMI. Was that precautionary? Did he get yeah. Does he hurt? I, honestly, I don't know. So interesting to see one of those two teams, obviously. Chops to try to pick up a win. I think that in the scheme of like tight games being a good game, that's going to be a good game. I don't know how much I want to watch it, but and I will watch it because it's a league game and I watch all league games. But anyways, yes. I, I, I'll get back to that. But Sam, Sanford Chattanooga, Massey projects fifty-five percent Bulldogs by about a field goal. I yes, I, I think this is going. The question for me is. Back end of Chattanooga has not looked good this year, and they are going to be obviously tested with the Bulldogs. They will take their shots deep. For Samford, they have had trouble stopping really anybody uh, from gaining yards, and so I'll be curious to see what does Artopius do throwing the football with the mix of the run in which Western just ran all over them. Can Chattanooga get the ground game going, but on the back end, can Chattanooga stop anybody? I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair where both teams have trouble stopping, and I think it's going to be like a 48-45 game, and I am going to very reluctantly go with the home team, the Sanford Bulldogs, because I can't go with the other. I can. I'm taking Chattanooga. Yeah, 
And I'll tell you why. Um, I think the Mocs are going to win this game because despite their deficiencies on the back end that we've, that we've seen, I mean, Cam Brown hasn't looked great. Their secondary hasn't looked great. Michael Hires has taken some hits trying to throw the ball deep. Michael Hires was taking hits in the red zone against Shorter. The offensive line for the Bulldogs has not looked convincing. They have not looked the part. And Chattanooga has an extremely good defensive front with Bruton and, and that group uh, in person. Uh, I like Chattanooga to get after the quarterback, put him on the ground, force the ball out early, put him in bad situations, and Hire's going to be running for his life once again. And I think that's going to be the difference in the football game is the ability to get after the quarterback and disrupt. Uh, our 40-yard line, number 11, New Hampshire, at number 19, Delaware Wildcats, coming off a 24-7 win over Dartmouth. And Massey says, Delaware, 64% by six points. Man, uh, now this is a game I would like to watch. Uh, actually, all these are probably going to get me on our top six here. going to be games I want to watch. This is a flow sports game. <sighs> I won't be able to watch it. See, I would like to watch it, but I can't watch it. Yes. Ah, oh, Delaware. Man, I tell you, the one thing. I'm going to go Delaware at home. I just, I think gut feeling when first looking at the game and looking at the teams said Delaware. I just, I was going to, I don't know. I think New Hampshire has the best offensive weapon in the game. And uh, Dylan, is it Loeb or Lobe? I think it's Loeb. I, I think it is Loeb. Um, the, just the do-it-all running back that, that he makes plays on special teams, he makes plays in the run game, he can catch, he can, run, he can you know, do other things. I like, I like just having that guy out there is going to make a significant impact for New Hampshire. I, lo- I love what their defense has done so far this year. I know that they got into a bit of a track meet with Central Michigan, but still they got enough stops to give them a chance to win that game, and I think that's what's going to happen here. Give me the Wildcats. I'm picking two road teams to get us started. And also, we have, we have already deviated as much as we've deviated from each other all season to date. Like it. So we're going to get some real separation. Well, good. Here. Let's do it again. Let me pick first every time. Uh, 30-yard line, number 21, Mercer at number 8, Furman. Uh, this one, you know, Furman's going to win Kennesaw State. Watch that. And Furman is very opportunistic on defense, as they were a year ago. They're able to force turnovers. They, get, they pressure the quarterback. Uh, Dominic Roberto did not uh, play a lot in that game and was shown on the sideline a lot. So I don't know if he's ready to go. Huff looked the part, though. Huff took a lot of hits, was able to stay in there. I have my question still about Carter Peavy and Mercer. Uh, Harper, Agreed. Debron Harper is still spectacular. Ty James can still go down the field. I think Furman's going to try to take, like a lot of teams have done, try to contain Harper, take their chances with James, put pressure on Peavy, and because of the quarterback play, I'm going to take Huff over Peavy and take Furman. I'm going to take Furman as well. I, I just have too many question marks still about Mercer. Most of them center on Peavy. But also, Debron Harper's been bit by the fumble bug early this year, and that's not a good thing for a, uh, a special teams like Swiss Army Knife playmaker who also happens to be just a really good offensive weapon in general to, to have happen to him. And if that happens a couple of times and Furman gets a couple of takeaways, then you're going to have a really tough time catching that Paladins group that can run the ball really, really well. So I'm taking Furman as well. Now let's go to Big Sky Country, the 20-yard line. Number three, Montana State at number 10, Weber State. This is a big one in Ogden. Weber State favored in Massey, 55% chance to win by a 31-28 projected score. Quick question, is uh, touchdown Tommy injured? I believe he is. I believe he is, too, so that's a number that low. Uh, I mean, it's... What's interesting about that is that Tommy Malott's been injured a lot in his career. He has been, as of yesterday, he was ruled out for the game at Weber State. So that, uh, and again, not that Sean Chambers hasn't put up good numbers for Montana State, but if you give me Tommy, I'm probably going Montana State. Because Tommy's not in there, I'm going to Weber State. 
Montana State needed to show me something up front, and they did um, against South Dakota State. They are asked to go on the road at another highly ranked opponent and try to find a way to win the football game. Without Malott, it does hurt them. I got I, I got to pick more home teams, man. I'm picking too many road teams. I, I'm going to take Weber State. Oh, boo. I'm going to take boo. Weber State. Oh. Okay. Honestly, I'm telling you, I was leaning – I thought I had read Tommy was hurt. Couldn't remember. Had to click on it to yeah. see that if Malat was in there, I was going Montana State. You know what? I changed my mind. I'm taking the Bobcats. I'm taking the Bobcats. I changed my mind. I just – I'm still – I came away really impressed with that team overall in Brookings. And even without Malat, I think they're still the best team in the big sky. Going on the road to Weaver is going to be a challenge. But this is the kind of challenge where elite teams prevail. Montana State. How about we, we just make ourselves even more miserable? Number four, Sacramento State at number seven, Idaho. The Kibbe Dome will oh, be man. rocking for this one. A huge game this week. And Idaho is an underdog at home in Massey. Sac State given 57% chance to win by a 31-28 score. Of course, Sac State coming up with what? The big, the big win against Stanford. Stanford. Uh, Idaho has an FBS win this year. And was leading Cal deep into the second quarter last week. Yeah, and I lose by 14 in that one. Um, I think this is a good one. Uh, I mean, Sac State the last couple of years, right, they early on, like, they get to the playoffs, get a high rank, and then just kind of stumble uh, in there. So, like, it's almost like, you know, of course, playoffs are different, right? It's just different setup, different there. But they're a really good team, especially early in the season. And Idaho is slow. Kind of becoming the the old Vandals, if you will, from from you know, probably a couple decades ago, mm-hmm. and so I think it's a fun little matchup where normally I have been home, home, home. I'm going to take the road teams tonight, and I'm going to go with Sac State. Give me the Vandals at home in front of a sold out crowd. It's going to be the loudest that building has been, maybe ever. The hype has reached a fever pitch out there in the Gem State. And uh, the the Vandals have are going to bring them. They're going to bring it. They have to bring it. This is their moment to not just say, hey, we're pretty good. We have arrived. You do not want to come to Moscow to play football. Most people don't want to go to Moscow to play football anyway. But Moscow, Idaho is a little bit of a different discussion. Traditionally, it's been a place you feel like, well, the travel's a pain in the butt. But you walk in, you get your win, and you go home. It's going to be a little bit different now for top teams to going going into that environment. Uh, it's going to be full. What is the capacity in the Kibbe Dome? You got it right in front of you there. Uh, it doesn't have it. Doesn't have it. Doesn't have the capacity. But you know, it's. Uh, I think it's in the neighborhood of 18, 18, 20,000, uh, 16,000. It's going to yeah, be full. So it's, it's going to be full. It's going to be loud, and that's going to help Idaho. It's going to push them to a win. Same company built the mini dome. Yes, although the Mini Dome has the same field layout as Holt Arena, which is Idaho State, where like the dome, um, like the dome arches over the length of the field rather than the width yeah, of the and, field. And, and uh, that was what, one other subtle thing I forgot on the dome building. But anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked with that. The other thing I was going to say is um, you look at the numbers too, statistically speaking, and they're almost across the board identical. So I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. I'm just going, hopefully, um, you know, Bennett being better than McCoy uh, in the quarterback battle. Two guys that are solid. Bennett McCoy, the dual threat guy with McCoy. Uh, not a dual threat guy, but certainly can chunk the football almost 800 yards already in three games. So, I, I again, you, we're picking these games for a reason because they're solid, and I think this is a, this is a good inning. I can't believe I didn't take a home team. That's what I'm saying. No, you didn't. For the first time in this round of the pick six, you did not take a home team. I'll give you one more chance at it, though. The goal line, FBS, number six, Ohio State at number nine, Notre Dame. Massey favors the Buckeyes decisively here. I would have to. I, you got another team you know I hate, and I don't want to. Uh, Notre Dame, 
every year I feel like, all right, if they just win a game or two and everyone is just in love with Notre Dame, right? Ohio State, people are wanting to run Ron Day out of town already because, you know, I guess they're not scoring 70 or they've lost to Michigan. Whatever it is. Um, but it's going to be – it's a night game, right? I mean, this one under the lights. Yes, this is under, under the, the lights. lights. Notre Dame I believe it's on NBC. Light. I think they're going to queue up Fallout Boy for this one. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, Ohio State, then they finally settle on the quarterback. You're, you're, I think they did, yes. They did. <sighs> Home team, Notre Dame. Shout out ETSU Buckeye. Give me the bucks. I'm taking Ohio State. Uh, in Ohio State. Uh, he knows that's why I took uh, Notre Dame. Over there. Mm-hmm. All right. What do we got on? Uh, Extra point. I am going to go. I narrowed it down to two earlier this week. I was trying to decide. Uh, and that once hardy crew was reduced down to two, just myself and the captain's old dog. It's a great song, the Irish Rover. I, it was more about which team do I feel good about pulling off the upset. Both these teams were decisive dogs. I was down to Utah Tech at Missouri State and North Alabama at home against UT Martin. Okay. So Martin, obviously, big winners last week. They've looked pretty good. They got a win over Missouri State, which kind of gave me pause. Utah Tech, reasonably competitive against Montana. How do we gauge it? Because Missouri State, I think, is probably decisively less good than UT Martin when you get down to the end of it. I'm going to take... In a, a Keith break first, I'm going to take the Utah Tech Trailblazers to win a football game. They're going to go into Springfield. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, there's no way. They're going to get blown out. Give me North <laughs> Alabama over UT Martin uh, at home. Uh, so you kind of went where I gave you the, I'm going to pick one of the oldest rivalries and the oldest conference, and then went with the, the first ever Tennessee State Gardner Webb game. You, you tee me up and make me believe something and take it away. All right. Um, I honestly normally – walk into this room and remember that we got to pick one of these today. <laughs> so I'll try to frantically find something FCS-wise. It was a struggle for me. I almost went Prairie View over Alcorn State. And then eventually I went with, uh, or what I'm going to go with, is a coach that used to coach for a coach who has thrown shots at a coach on who's actually calling the defensive plays to another coach who's just trying to find a quarterback. So that being said, yes, Lane Kiffin has flat out said, right, that the defensive coordinator is not the defensive coordinator. It's actually the secondary's coach calling the defense because I've coached against, uh, you know, whoever, uh, whatever they're going, and with this whole thing. And, you know, Saban said back there, like, I can't find a quarterback. I'm trying to figure it out. And you got this guy telling me who's calling that. He's had to come out Saban and say, no, our defense coordinator is our defensive coordinator. Kevin Steele is calling the defense, you know, Forget about what Lane's saying. Lane Train's trying to get him going. So can the Lane Train either get blown out by 70 for poking the bear or is the Lane Train secretly knowing he's a little better at the quarterback position than certainly Alabama is and going into Tuscaloosa and picking up a win? And I'm going, yes, the Lane Train is going to go into Alabama and is going to upset the Crimson Tide. And then we can get Paul Feinbaum screaming even more that Saban needs to go, which is ludicrous. But that's what Paul does to get people upset. Gotta make a change, Paul. Uh, that's. I mean, hey, that's that one's that's your funeral guy. I agree. Again. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you could probably say the same thing about. I mean, UT Martin is probably gonna pace North Alabama. But I had to pick one, and I didn't feel good about Utah Tech, and I didn't feel good about Missouri State at home. So. I mean, in fairness, I I, I debated at length on Prairie. So guess what? We'll talk a lot of uh, recap from the weekend and ETSU athletic events. No foosball. But we watch the start of basketball practice. Men start on Monday. Women start on Tuesday. Talk about that as well. And we'll do a recap of Big Six where I'll make my comeback on key. Maybe. You got about, I'm trying to do the math here. You've got a two-game, I guess two-and-a-half game deficit to make up this week. I got you, Ron Sure you do. In the seat next to you on the Jay and Keith show. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!